What's kind of missing in the whole academic writing training space is for something that teaches researchers both how to actually write a good quality paper that has high chances to get accepted and like the whole process. So what I do is I teach researchers the whole process of writing like a high quality paper. Welcome to the 37th episode of the Struggling Scientist podcast. This is a podcast by scientists, for scientists, anybody science adjacent, and perhaps even hobbyists. My name is Zanna, and I'm here with my co-host, Jaron. Hi. Today, we are interviewing Anna Clemens about scientific writing. She's an academic writing coach, and we got in touch with each other after our previous episode on writing tips from our own perspectives. But this time, we have a professional. We're going to talk about scientific writing, some of the common mistakes authors make when writing, and obviously tips that she has for writing. So let's start. So Anna, welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you. Thank you so much. I'm also excited. So we always let our guests introduce themselves a bit. Could you tell a little bit about yourself? Do you have any interesting hobbies? Where do you live? Where do you come from? What did you study? Anything you want to share? Sure. So my name is Anna Clemens. Um, I have a PhD in chemistry. I currently live in the Czech Republic in Prague. And I grew up in Germany, where I also did my undergraduate studies in Aachen. And then I moved to Sweden to do my PhD and ended up living there for like six, seven years before I moved here to the Czech Republic. In terms of hobbies, I don't think I have anything particularly interesting, (laughs) but um, I do love to spend time with my dog. So I go, we love to go for walks and hikes and like be in nature as much as we can. I also play beach volleyball. Um, I like to read. (laughs) Oh, those are good hobbies. (laughs) They're good hobbies, but they're not very interesting. (laughs) Dogs are always interesting. Yeah, a dog is a full-time job. (laughs) It can be, yeah. I'm currently trying to teach her tricks where she has to use her brain for, and that's actually quite interesting. Ah, Nice. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so uh, could you also tell us a little bit more about your uh, background in writing? You mentioned a PhD in chemistry, and I I guess that it also involves a lot of writing, uh, but... I read that you also have a little bit of journalistic background there as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, So I did a PhD in chemistry and that's where I really, I guess, started to write or rather I started to get published, right? Mm -hmm. I started to publish papers um, and then I, um, well, how should I say? Maybe, shall I tell you the whole story of how I ended (laughs) up writing? (laughs) So, it's quite interesting because actually my PhD and probably many PhD students relate, <laughs> I didn't have the best time. Um, I wasn't particularly lucky when it came to my supervisor, or one of my supervisors. And it was a very, I did an experimental PhD as well. So mm-hmm. I was in a lab a lot with kind of fussy <laughs> machines that sometimes would work, sometimes wouldn't. It was just a lot of effort to get data and to get results and all the things involved with it. It was a very, very frustrating time. And um, writing kind of became my refuge. <laughs> so it, I had a path that was very, I guess, uncommon when I kind of looked around to my colleagues 
um, because they didn't seem to like writing quite as much. And for me, it was like, I didn't know before that, that I like writing so much. Um, mm -hmm. But when I got to write my thesis, so in Sweden, you do like a licentiate and a PhD thesis. So I had kind of a lot of thesis writing going on throughout my time there. And then of course, papers and reports and things. And whenever I got to write, I was really in my element. And I was like, whoa, like, you know, I felt so productive. And I was like, oh, look at that. There's like, um, I have got all the words on the page now. I even got like the section is finished now. Oh my God. Like, I don't know. It felt so good uh, in contrast to my experience when I was in the lab. Um, I had to deal with my one supervisor. So I also, I guess, what helped as well is I kind of got quite good feedback on it. Like, mm. you know, it was of course not perfect because I was just doing what I thought was right. I didn't have much training in it, but I kind of also figured, okay, what, what like kind of my intuition is about this is quite good. Um, I think from an early stage and I quite have understood how to communicate complicated concepts quite well, I think, mm. um, so I got already good feedback on my PhD thesis as well from my committee, things like that, you know, where you'll just like realize, oh yeah, probably I'm, maybe I'm good at this. <laughs> and then um, because the PhD had been so draining, I was really just trying to reorient afterwards. So once I graduated, I was really like, told myself, okay, I'm going to take, um, I'm going to take some time to really trying to figure out what I want to do. Like mm -hmm. I didn't have this, thing in my head that was like oh I'm definitely going to continue in academia and do a postdoc or oh no I'm definitely going to do an industry job or something else I just didn't know so I allowed myself the time and to just look around and kind of reflect and I had a job coach at one point as well to help me figure out things and um, then it just became so clear to me just like you know stepping back and reflecting on things that I wanted to do something with writing so what I ended up doing was I was just freelancing and taking on loads of writing jobs, like anything that I could imagine I could do with like an interest in writing and like a background in science. I kind of tried to marry the two. And um, so I've wrote like profile pieces of researchers. I've wrote like news articles about new scientific discoveries. I helped like in science fairs. Oh, I did like like all the things that came across me came across my way and then um I also and then I was like okay so the only path I see to do this properly is by becoming a science journalist or science writer as they're sometimes mm -hmm. called so I applied for a internship with a popular science magazine so they are the German um edition of Scientific American um based in Germany and they write in German and I got the internship, uh, so I was there for six months, learning the mm. tricks of the trade, um, kind of getting things published, getting things out there, and I was it was really good, and I really um, managed to publish a few also longer pieces, a few features mm -hmm. um, during that time, and um, once that was over, I like continued to freelance for them, so I both edited for them. So I edited like the pieces that other writers would write. Um, and I also wrote pieces myself and I really, really mm. loved it. Um, 
And then I transitioned. So the truth is, it is very, very hard to earn money, <laughs> enough money to earn a living. Honestly, it's just about earning a living. It's very, very hard as a freelance journalist. And I learned that very quickly. And it's especially hard when you're just starting out and when you're kind of trying to be very thorough. Um, I mean, there are ways to do it well, but it is a very, very hard path. And mm -hmm. I wasn't quite prepared to put the work in for that, I guess. <laughs> um, or no, maybe that's wrong. You know, sometimes <laughs> you're like trying to rationalize like in your story in hindsight and you're trying to see a path. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of random things that happen as well. I just realized, okay, it's very hard to get paid good money for this. Mm -hmm. um, I need to do something else as well. And what I did was I edited uh, manuscripts for researchers. Um, and that, and it's so funny because it's so different, right? Mm -hmm. It's like different high style of writing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's editing, it's not writing. But honestly, I'm really, really, I still love doing that because there's this like, it's like to me, it's like, and the type of editing I did as well. I mean, I should say, um, and also what I, how I still approach writing. It wasn't so much about like correcting commas and like, it wasn't so much about the language, right? It wasn't mm -hmm. like a language edit or copy edit. It's like very, very thorough so I would really go in and like go deep into the story, <laughs> deep into the structure, trying to like, you know, uncover all of that. And that really is like a puzzle almost where you're like kind of try to connect all mm -hmm. the pieces. Um, and that's what's so fun. So I got into that and yeah, this is how it all started. Basically, it was a very, very hard <laughs> so I guess it helps uh contextualizing how I got into all of this. Yeah, it's also really nice to hear about like there are so many people who don't know what to do after the PhD, right? So it's nice to also hear that part of the story. Like how did you actually get into this? Uh, I actually had a side question regarding that because you said for like mm -hmm. that popular magazine that it was also in German, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh so do you find it difficult at all to sort of switch between English and German uh depending on uh, what you're working on? Or is it you have no difficulties with that uh for uh, editing it's a very very good question um to be honest once i moved from sweden to germany no I, I moved to czech republic first and then i went to germany for half a year but i'd basically german was my weakest so basically i'm fluent in three languages like mm -hmm. english german and swedish and in sweden i basically didn't use my german basically at all except for like you know, not in a formal way anyway, mm. just for like chatting a little bit, but even not that so much. So it wasn't very present. So to be honest with you, when I started this internship, I felt like an imposter because I've, I could rarely string sentences together. <laughs> I, was, I was so confused. It was so difficult to write in German all of a sudden. Um, and it's funny because you always think, oh, but German is like her mother tongue. so like native language. She must be really, really good at it. And it all came back to me, but it just goes to show how like dynamic languages are. Mm -hmm. And like, it really depends so much on how much you use the language. And it all came back to me really quickly. Um, but it was definitely funny and a challenge. And I would sometimes sit there and, you know, try to say something to a colleague of mine and not, you know, the word just wouldn't come to me. Mm -hmm. Like I kept having 
to say English words. <laughs> um, I really struggled. Also, I mean, this is just an anecdote, but I really, really struggled knowing, you know, when to address someone formally and informally. Mm-hmm. In German, you have these like two, like du and, and sie, mm-hmm. depending on how like familiar <laughs> you are with someone or how the hierarchy is. And I just couldn't do it anymore. I was like, you know, I didn't have, I, I totally forgot because in English, you don't do that. And in Sweden, the hierarchies, it's a bit flatter. So you don't do that in the language as well. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of, um, yeah, definitely <laughs> a challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, you recovered quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's really nice to talk with a writing coach that really specializes in natural sciences and medicine topics, uh, since I think it's a quite a unique field, right? Writing papers. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think? makes writing papers so hard for many people? Oh, it's a really good question. I um, I think it depends. So I think writing is hard for many scientists, many researchers. And I kind of, so what I found with the people I've talked to, that it's like different challenges at different levels. Mm-hmm. So when you're a PhD student or maybe a master, maybe even a postdoc, it depends. But if you're just like, kind of, if you don't have that much experience writing papers, the most common difficulty that I see is that they don't know how to start. Like they get told like, oh, no, it's time to write the paper. <laughs> so they go open their word or their later or Scrivener or whatever program they use. They use, they open the program and then there's a blank white page <laughs> and they're like, oh, hmm, <laughs> what shall I write? And then they stay at this blank document and it's just not very motivating. So what happens is you procrastinate, then writing becomes this like, oh my God, dreaded thing. Um, And yeah, from my perspective, it's not surprising it's that way because very, very few PhD students get actually get like really good proper academic writing training. And almost never does it happen that they get told, um, oh, here's how you start writing. Here's what the next step is. Here's what comes after. because I think what some people, even even when they have written like hundreds of papers, they sometimes don't realize it's just how compl- complex this task is and that it can be really challenging to connect all the parts, all the different thoughts and results and data into like this nice coherent document that someone actually wants to read. So yeah, I think PhD students commonly... I mean, they struggle in the process and then maybe they complete, like they kind of manage to complete a draft. Um, and it's usually quite painful. And then they give this like draft to their supervisor or advisor, whoever, co-author. And they then go, oh, um, no, no, you know what? <laughs> like It's like red all over, right? They change everything. Yes. Or maybe sometimes they even don't change everything at first. They just couldn't correct some commas. And then in the fourth draft, oh, so they go like, oh, no, I think we should like completely change the flow of this. Like figure one should actually be figure four. And like, oh, the supplemental should actually be figure one. Like it's just such a mess. Um, and that's just so demotivating. And this is what I see in PhDs, like happening with PhD students a lot. It like, can really grind you down. Um, when it comes to people who are faculty already, like they're already professors, um, often assistant professors actually, that's like 
I guess these are like the two big pe- groups of people I work with, like PhD mm-hmm. students and assistant professors. Actually, postdocs as well, postdocs as well. They're kind of in between. Um, and for them, so for assistant professors, it's often that they have a backlog of papers. <laughs> Many professors do, not only assistant professors. They've like done a lot of research, a lot of projects, collaborated with loads of people, but then they never really have time to actually write stuff up and like, you know, submit it. Um, so they feel like, or well, they are actually pulled in like loads of directions. Um, they have so many, you know, they're wearing so many hats. They have like, I don't know, teaching, supervising, committee, and I, other like kind of administrative things mm-hmm. to do. Um, so for them, the challenge is that writing kind of gets the lowest priority even though arguably it's like the most meaningful part of their job. So that's a problem actually, you know, making time to write things. Um, And the other problem is that especially when you're like starting out without a big name attached (laughs) on the paper, it's really, really hard to break into these top tier, high impact, high-ranking journals um and i've i hear from a lot of um it's like junior system professors that they get rejected from these journals and feel really frustrated about this because they are not quite sure you know Mm. what they're doing wrong and um i think that's that's like the two biggest problems Mm. for these kind of different stages Okay. So given that, what kind of help do you normally offer uh, people who come to you? What kind, of que- do they, do, what kind of questions do they reach out to you with? Do they often, after talking to them, do they sort of know already like that this is the problem that they're struggling with? Or do you sort of figure it out for them? Like, this is, I think, what you actually need? Or how does that work? That's, yeah. Um, so they say one of two things. <laughs> they either say, Writing papers takes me a very long time and I would like it to take less long. Or they say, or slash and they say, I'm often getting rejected. How can I get my papers accepted? Um, And this is indeed what I help them with. And I think what's so, I don't know, I don't want to sound so self-complimentary, but what I really... um, like about the way I teach it is that like it combines the two struggles like this is something I really realized in this phase when I was editing a lot of papers was that what's kind of missing in the whole academic writing training space is for something that teaches researchers um, both how to actually write a good quality paper that has high chances to get accepted and like the whole process so what I do is I teach researchers the whole process of writing like a high quality paper. So it's very like, what was very important to me was to break down every step, not just to say, okay, this is what the finished product looks like, because this is, I feel like what lots of academic writing coaches or lots of training looks like. It's Mm -hmm. like, so focused on, okay, that's the final product as opposed to, okay, here's what you have to do first. I feel like nobody's really talking about this. So this Mm -hmm. was, very important to me to to do that and i call this whole process the journal publication formula some people really hate this name <laughs> so i'm a bit shy about saying it but 
uh, other people love it and it resonates with a lot of people um, because what researchers feel is that there is a formula and they just don't know it. They mm -hmm. feel like um, there is like a black box. There is like something that some researchers have figured out who frequently get their articles published in these like big journals that they just don't have figured out. And this is what I named it like that. So basically I teach this formula, this method in my online course. Um, my online course is called the Researchers Writing Academy. Um, and I also run workshops, even though the course has a much bigger focus right now. Um, and individual researchers can sign up for it. So it's really like um, you can sign up whenever you want. It's always open um, and get a membership for one year and learn the learn the method get support from us, get support from the other members in the course. This is like the whole like concept. And is it mostly focused on paper writing or also thesis writing and that? So it's uh, it's hyper-focused on papers actually yeah. um, because I broke down the process into this. Like I broke it down so granularly that it just like one-to-one -one applies to papers. Um, but... We have had actually, I remember one student or one member of the course, she used the course material to write her master thesis and she actually graduated with a distinction or something like that. So it worked really well for her. I'm sure her research was really good as well. <laughs> that usually helps. Um, but yeah, you can kind of translate it to thesis writing, um, but it's very like focused on writing papers. Yes. I think the hardest thing about thesis writing is also that it's so much. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a giant project. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would you say are the things that matter the most when you're writing a good journal publication? So I would say there are three things. Um, and they're kind of um, easy to remember because they will start with a C. <laughs> okay. First of all, I think a good article, right? Like a well-written, what we call like a well-written article. To me, this is one. A well-written article is one that communicates your results well and also has high chances to get accepted. So they should be clear, concise, and compelling. So the three Cs. <laughs> and clear, so clear means there should be never like any ambiguity um, about what you mean. So there should never be a point where your reader misunderstands you um, or where they have to spend like extra energy, extra work trying to understand what you mean. So that's clear. Then concise means your paper should be as short as possible. So you don't want to go on tangents um, and you want to kind of tell this one story in the most compact way possible. You also um one really it goes down to every paragraph every sentence even every word like going to the length like you as the writer uh making the effort to analyze every word you're writing and asking yourself is this needed here or is there a better word or can i maybe cut it out completely often we can cut them out completely and sometimes we use like two words where one where there's one word that actually like super clearly describe something so there's like loads of ways usually how we can um basically 
cut down <laughs> on length. Um, and the third one, compelling. This is really um, the characteristic of a paper where I think um, your paper should have a story. So you should have a narrative that carries the reader through. Um, we want to have, we also want to have like flow. So it's all about like the structure of a paper. Um, and again, it goes down from this like bigger concept of a story that runs through a paper down to really paragraph and sentence level where you want to make sure that they flow, that like your reader, you know, they're just like carried through, they're being carried through by you, the writer. Um, and that becomes a compelling piece then for them to read. So it sounds very structured. Uh, can you elaborate mm -hmm. a bit more on how you would uh, walk someone through all of that a little bit? Maybe not in all the details, of course, but just... Uh... Where would you start? Yes. <laughs> okay, so the process that I teach, we start with a story. So would, so again, what I um, see where a lot of academic writing training focuses is sort of something that I would do at the end, <laughs> the linguistics. So they really don't matter so much. And as you said, what matters a lot more is the structure, I think, the structure of, um, of your article. And structure really just means like which information is presented and where is it presented. So really breaking this down um, requires you to be really clear on what's my story. Um, so that's really step number one. It's like, what's the story? Okay, once you know that, good. Then you can go and outline your sections. Then you can go. Um, I can give an example. For example, for the introduction section, what I recommend is you figure out something that I call like a broad problem in the field. <laughs> and you figure out something that is a narrow problem in the field that you that your study solves. So then once you know these, and this is in the story step, so you figure these out in the story step, then in the second step, in the outline step, you take the broad problem, put it at the beginning of your introduction section. You take your narrow problem, put it at the end of your introduction section. And now you need to find a way to fill what's in between. Um, and this is where outlining comes in. So you kind of you plan your paragraphs, you think, okay, how can I take the reader from the broad to the narrow problem? Break it all down. So it's all like the way I teach is very systematic. <laughs> I left this like um, very systematic breaking, like, yeah, a very systematic way of thinking about writing. Instead of just sitting down and, you know, type, mm -hmm. some people think, say, and maybe there's, honestly, maybe there's different people who prefer different things. Um but I don't know. My my feeling is, and I really am not sure of like what's what's true. Um, but my feeling is that many people would actually benefit from like just sitting down and thinking about, and it's not just thinking, right? You can write, you write as well, mm. but you don't maybe write, you don't attempt to write anything that will become like the draft of your paper. You just write in order to develop your story. You're trying to really trying to figure out, okay, what is this like narrow problem that my paper solves? Um, super, super important thing to know when you want to tell a story. And um, yeah, so I think that instead of just like sitting down, so what I often hear is people say, 
oh yeah, I need to write the paper because then I know like then it evolves and then I finally at some point know mm. what story I want to tell. I just think that's a waste of time. Like instead sit down and like in a structured way, think about what your article, like what components your article should have, you know, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, different way of saying <laughs> what the story should be. So what the story should be and then go and like strategically strategically outline and I see this works very very well with the members of my course so they really do that and report back to me that it actually like saves them a lot of time doing that um yeah I don't know if I started on some tangent that I know no, no. I definitely agree <laughs> with like starting with the story yeah um, now, of course, there's also this traditional structure to papers, right? With the introduction and uh, the methods and results. And um, mm -hmm. how do you feel about that? Do you do you just start in the order that you're supposed to write it? Or do you think you should do that differently? Yeah, so I, I wouldn't start in the order. Um, this is actually something else that people say helps them. is to start with the abstract. And I think that comes... Like, that's a good thought, I think, to start with the abstract. But I would instead start with a story because in, in the end, what your story, like I call them key story elements, uh, what your key story elements are, that will probably be your abstract in the end. But it's kind of just a bit of a roundabout way thinking about the abstract first, I think. Um, but once you know that, I would start with methods or results. Um, methods is often nice to start with. So we now we say also we have outlined everything, right? So mm -hmm. sort of the the way I teach it is first story, then outline everything, and then write everything. So or maybe outline, write, outline, write, outline, write. Um, and in terms of which section first now, so difficult to explain. It's just <laughs> my, by speaking, it would be good to have like a diagram, you know, to show you what I mean. But um definitely start with with like what you did first, like your results. Because um, that way you then build up the story, basically. I mean, if you've outlined everything, then you can start writing whatever you want to start. But in the outlining step, definitely start with the results um, and methods. Methods is a bit on the side because it's usually most people don't have much problems writing the method section. No. Um, so that's a nice way to start, right? If you want to get some quick like a quick win <laughs> do that it's not a blank um, page anymore exactly exactly yeah. um then it's not a blank page anymore then go to the results and then i would say i would do the introduction then and then discussion um the reason is that the discussion is usually the most difficult one for most people in most yeah. research fields because it's a bit more free form like the, it it depends on the field and on the study, exactly what comes in, what you put in there. And you need to do a lot more like thinking and yeah. So save this, <laughs> save this at last. And then the very last thing you would do is like title, abstract, cover letter, maybe graphical, abstract, things like that. Yeah. So a bit on a side note, we have um, also this topic where we talk about um, journals that of the papers that made the news. And often those mm -hmm. are nature papers, of course. Mm -hmm. And those papers often, I think nature is sort of moving away from the structure of introduction, materials, and methods, results. They make it one big story. They don't even have a discussion separate section anymore. Do you think that's an improvement or? 
Um, personally, I'm not a big fan of letters. This like whole letter format where you basically have, um, you still have kind of the sections, but you don't give them titles. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is often yeah. how I, feel. I don't like it so much. I feel like the titles help people. Um, you can still navigate. see where the introduction is supposed to stop, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. It just makes it faster because not everyone wants to read the whole paper, right? Like, let's be yeah. honest. Um, we don't all read <laughs> from start to finish. We kind of go in there and like sometimes we're interested in the results on a particular result. Sometimes we're interested in the discussion. And I know many like journalists are interested in the discussion. Like when I was writing about other people's research, journalists, I would always go to the discussion section um, because they're so helpful because this is something really, I guess, important also to um, realize as a researcher, if you want your research to be picked up by journalists, do a good job in the discussion section and you can tell people so much, right? You can like um, give journalists like the interpretation of your data. Um, you can like deliver them to them. And I think that's important because what they otherwise are going to do is they're going to interpret them for themselves. And they are rarely experts. Like journalists are rarely experts, not even close. Like I was writing up psychology. <laughs> right. I, I, I mean, you know, you pick up a lot um, when you do that. But of course, I don't have a degree in psychology. So I was very, very grateful for good discussion sections <laughs> in papers. Um, yeah, that's just a side note. Um, we are very excited to be able to introduce you to our new sponsor, Jenny AI. Not only does Jenny make our podcast possible, it also makes our life as scientists so much easier. Jenny is an all-in-one writing assistant that has everything that we have been missing in our AI tools. Yes, first off, unlike other AI tools, it actually finds accurate information in papers and cites its sources. It does not make things up and only uses real verified information that you can then also check the source of. Second, it's a writing assistant trained for academic papers and helps you write your paper by suggesting the next sentence or the end of your sentence. Or, if you get really stuck, you can ask it to write an entire paragraph completely removing the writer's block I so often struggle with when I don't know the right words to make my point. It helped me write an introduction to a paper I've been struggling with in half an hour. It even suggests which papers to cite. You can add your own library or search the entire internet for papers. Just type the add symbol to easily add a reference and it gets automatically added to the reference list. And the last thing we absolutely love is that it has an AI chatbot that can see your document and give feedback on how to improve your manuscript. Or you can ask it questions, such as what are the potential therapeutic benefits of dot dot dot, and it will search through the papers for you for the answer. I can only say that my stress level has gone down significantly since I started using Jenny. Check out the free version now at thestrugglingscientist.com slash Jenny, and if you love it, use the code SCIENCE20 for a 20% discount. Where, what was the question I was answering? <laughs> if, if you think that letter type is better or not. But I oh, think yeah, the, right. the answer is no. <laughs> no, I don't think yes. so. Yeah, I think it's not helpful. Yes. So uh, everyone's worst fear, of course, is your paper en ending up being uh, rejected. And you sort of mentioned that uh, you have some tips for scientists who get, des uh, get rejected uh, every now and then. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? What kind of tips would you uh, have for scientists who get rejected? Sure. Um, yeah, it's really, really common um, to feel very frustrated when your work gets <laughs> desk rejected, especially when you feel like you're really doing good science. Mm -hmm. 
um and you're not sure what am I doing wrong I know like the science isn't the problem and then what often is the problem is of course how you communicate to your research um and then I mean it all comes back to what I already said earlier um and that is if you work like really often gets rejected by the journals that you're targeting and you're really like you're not kind of shooting for the stars but you're really like um trying to you know you think it's realistic it's like this is actually a good fit like you're really like honest with yourself you're like I really do think this is a good fit for the journal and it often happens they reject it I mean it's it's there's luck in both right so if you got rejected once (laughs) it doesn't mean anything uh but if this often happens to you then it's really likely that maybe you aren't telling a story so maybe you aren't telling a story at all like ask yourself this am I telling a story um secondly maybe you're not telling a good story (laughs) like maybe the story is weak or you're telling like a confusing story and many researchers they see tell confusing stories because they're not very clear um and they kind of like you need to tell one story (laughs) one not like two or three parallel ones and you need to tell the same story throughout every sentence every part of the paper like don't don't change the story halfway through because that confuses readers what the journal editor so when you get desk rejected it means that the journal editor rejects it so and what their task is to do is is this a good fit for the journal and is this research needed and is it needed now so these are the things you're trying to convince them of and very important sections to do that so the cover letter is super important mm-hmm. like not even part of the paper but like so so important and so many researchers don't make good use of it because there you can really sell your paper like sell your paper and i know scientists hate this word of <laughs> this idea of selling right selling your research but it's not it's not a bad dirty thing you're just trying to communicate like the three mm-hmm. things i just said like it's good fit for that it's a good fit for the journal for the readership that the research is needed and that it is needed now to mm-hmm. communicate that um and what editors also look at is the abstract introduction reference section and also the discussion and and figures actually so they look at a lot they basically look at everything except for the text and the results section i mean it depends on the editor of course and on the journal but they tend to not be so focused on that because that's the reviewer's job, the peer reviewer's mm-hmm. job to analyze. Is the methodology right? Do the results make sense? Like they're not so concerned with that. They're really concerned with, um, yeah, the whole like relevance, the story, all of these things. Um, so this is really where, like the main thing is tell a better story, I guess, mm-hmm. to, to get accepted. Or to increase your chances. You know, there's always, as I said, there's always like... <laughs> it's a prob- sure. probability game in the end. <laughs> yes. So do you also have some tips for the procrastinating uh, procrastinators among us, like us? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So first off, I, I don't believe in like laziness or self-discipline. So... I think if you're someone who procrastinates, I just for a second, I want you to stop <laughs> believing in both of these things too. And just try to understand why you're procrastinating. So 
why are you not writing? <laughs> What's the real reason? And like laziness and self dis lack of self-discipline are not reasons. So just like, you know, go and like have a deep thing, really trying to like <laughs> uncover what may be behind that. And what I have found um, talking to researchers and working with them is that often it's really about they don't know what to do or so what I all said about the, they don't know what the process should be, right? Like what should be the first thing, the next thing or, um, and I also can relate to that very much. Um, there are some like negative emotions that are connected with what we have to write. Um, and that is often in like, you know, relationships with your co-authors. They're so, so common. Like and if you, the listener, <laughs> as someone who experiences that, like you're really not alone because these co-author relationships are so difficult to navigate and so many authors have problems um, with a co-author and they are annoyed maybe because of some comments they received from them or there's some like, you know, unresolved issues in terms of like managing the whole process or maybe you don't agree with something or maybe like there's something going on with your supervisor, <laughs> um, some back and forth and you're just not feeling good about the whole thing. So this is kind of what I would do is analyze like what is the real reason and then, you know, attack that. Okay. That's actually a really good tip. Now, you also mentioned to us that you do not believe in writer's block. Uh, do you, What do you mean by this? And what are your biggest tips uh, to be able to sort of keep going when you sort of, sort of struggle with it a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you sometimes say that, that you have writer's block? There's something... Not really. Mm, Usually no. I just say that I'm so busy with other stuff in the lab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I So sometimes people reach out to me and they're like, oh, I have writer's block. <laughs> you have failed me. And of course, like, it can feel really horrible to like have that and to feel that. And I don't want to like discount anyone's feeling. Like if you're currently feeling like you have writer's block. Um, of course, the feeling is absolutely real. Um, but what I found is that researchers are often kind of quick to diagnose themselves with writer's block. And it's just not so helpful because when you say you have writer's block, that kind of suggests that it's this thing that happens to you <laughs> and they possibly can't, you know, improve on, like you can't deal with. It's almost like this like higher power that took all the inspiration from you and now you have to and have this thing right just block mm -hmm. um and actually it's a bit similar to the procrastination case like i'd really invite you to ask yourself why you're really feeling this like why are you feeling your writer's block and again it may be because you don't know actually what to do and actually sometimes and i have this as well when i'm not sure uh, that what I'm currently doing is time well spent. You're like, keep second guessing yourself, right? And then sometimes you don't make any progress or you like, yeah, it feels very frustrating. And then you may like stop doing the thing at all just because you're not sure, am I doing the right thing right now? Um, but it could also be that just 
you're in the writing process and it's just difficult and it's just hard and you're feeling some resistance as you're trying to write your paper. And if you're feeling that, I just want to tell you, yes, (laughs) this is what's going to happen because writing is difficult. So writing, I think, It's one of the most demanding tasks that our brains can do. Like writing doesn't come natural to us. Talking comes natural to us, right? It's easy for us to talk, to communicate, for most of us anyway, to communicate um, our research and information in general by talking. But writing is a lot more difficult um, because our brains haven't evolved that way. So just knowing that it will be difficult, there will be resistance, And there's some days where it just doesn't go as well. You know, it just doesn't flow. And honestly, maybe just stop then and try the next day again. Like, don't you don't also need to push yourself through a bad day. Like, you're not lazy. (laughs) You know, you don't like self-discipline if you um, don't push yourself. So just um, knowing that writing is difficult and that you need, like, there is a process to follow, and once you follow it, and it's still difficult, yeah, this is um, this is what it is, <laughs> and it will get easier. It will get easier. I think most researchers who say they have writer's block, they're often not so experienced writers. Okay, well, those are some really good tips. I think we have talked about so many already. Do you have anything else that you wanna tell our listeners about writing? Um. I guess one more thing is um, get feedback early. So I kind of alluded to that earlier, but really don't write a whole draft on your own before discussing it with your co-authors. Like go and discuss with them, agree on a story before you write the whole thing. (laughs) Um, Because otherwise it's just a waste of time and you end up having like an editing nightmare. Okay. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us this episode. Uh, where can people find you or reach out to you? Uh, any links that you want to share? Yeah, thank you. Um, my website is com. So that's A-N-N-A-C-L-E-M-E-N-S.com. And I have a free training on that website. So if anything that I said today resonated with you and um, you want to learn more, I have like a free offer. Uh, where you can, it's about 60, 70 minutes long. Um, just sign up for it and watch that. There is, once you go on anaclemens.com, you'll see the button, or you can just type in anaclemens.com and then slash training to get to the to the training page directly. Um, I'm also on Twitter. So if you want to connect there, please do so. This is where I found <laughs> your two lovely hosts. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and I'm at scientists right there. So scientists right. Nice. And yeah, I just wanted to say I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, and your courses and workshops are available for people all around the world. They're online or? Yeah, yeah, they're all online. So they're open to anyone who, who wants to join. Nice. Okay. Uh, listeners can reach out to us via our social media, which are those again, Jaron. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and also a little bit on Pinterest. Yes. And we also have a website, thestrugglingscientist.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter or see our fun merch. Um, Thank you so much for listening, and see you all next time. 
Bye. Bye.